Welcome to the Animal Welfare Junction. This is Dr. G, and our music is written and produced by Mike Sullivan. Today is part two of the Animal Control Report series, and we have special guest Dan Edinger, co-host of the Animal Control Report. Welcome, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so last week, we interviewed your co-host, Ashley Bishop. So today, um, I'm really excited to hear about what you have to say to us about your part on the podcast and what you do. So how about you give us an introduction, tell us who you are and why you are who you are. You bet. First off, Dr. G is probably the coolest name that you could have. <laughs> like, you know, what up, G? That's kind of some of the old right. school stuff that I have. So what up, Dr. G? I really like that. You know, I um, it, it's a long journey. I've been in this industry as a professional for about 13 years. I started as a volunteer in 2009 and just really fell in love with the idea of helping people and helping animals. And so I can tell you a quick story about it. First off, I was working in the media industry, which is probably fit for me doing a podcast, right? Because I had some background and understanding of, of content and recording and et cetera. But I was working in the media industry at that time, putting commercials on television. So I was about to have a new baby and I was like commercials on TV. It just sounds stupid. Like my kid's going to grow up and be like, dad, you sit in a cubicle all day. No disrespect if you sit in a cubicle, by the <laughs> way, but like, it just wasn't, it's not me. Right. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm just different in that aspect. And so I just remember having this, like having this itch of like being bored at work and we worked, the office was really close to the animal shelter that I started volunteering at. And so I went in and I think out of my, like, boredom i was like i need to get a new dog <laughs> don't even go down that road yet um but like i wasn't prepared i was like i'm just gonna go get a dog i had a dog at the time but i was like maybe he wants a puppy more so i'm just bored and didn't know what to do with myself so i go into the animal shelter and i don't walk out with an animal i walk out with a career right so as a volunteer i really my exposure was cool because i got to like clean it clean after animals walk them you know play with cats, play with dogs, et cetera. But it all kind of really hit home. Our The shelter that I was a volunteer at did its like first ever event. So like think about like 12 years ago, how, well, no, I guess that would have been 14 years ago when I was a volunteer. So how animal shelters have evolved in that 14 year span, like a lot of them were dog. Matter of fact, going back to one of your episodes, how the humane agent kept calling it a dog pound. Right. And I'm like, I'm kind of biting my tongue every time she says it. And I'm like, why you got to call it a dog pound, yo, but that's really what it, what it was. And so same thing as I was volunteering at, you know, the municipal animal shelter, which, you know, technically is a dog pound. And they were really excited because they were throwing their first ever like event. Right. And events for like nonprofits probably were, were somewhat common back then, but a municipal shelter, it wasn't. And so this event was called Meet Your Match. And I'll never forget it. It was a Valentine's Day event. And I just remember the chaos. This was, again, like an old dog pound with, you know, paint peeling, loud, you know, loud acoustics inside the big, you know, warehouse, uh, smells bad, etc. And the, the whole concept behind Meet Your Match was that people would come in with, well, not necessarily with their pet, but to find a friend for their pet, Right. So that's, that was kind of what they were doing was like, or that was their hope. But in reality, it was like people were coming to meet their match, like get a pet for themselves. And so I'm in there and I just remember 
kind of an elderly woman tapping me on the shoulder and just saying, Hey, can we meet this Cocker Spaniel right there? It was a chocolate Cocker Spaniel older. And I just remember her, you know, saying, Hey, like, we'd love to meet it. And I was like, sure, let's go over to the, you know, meet and greet room, which was really like in the same area. If you've ever been in a warehouse type of setting for dogs and cats. And so I just, she was just like, Hey, is there any chance we can meet somewhere else? Like it's really overstimulating my husband who was not with her, like where, where I was with the dog. She was like, he's over here. Uh, just overstimulating for him because he recently had a stroke and I was like, sure. I was like, we can do that. So I, I remember picking up the Cocker Spaniel and carrying it over to him. And, and you could tell, like, I'm not a doctor, but you could tell, like, he definitely had some medical issues. Like he was kind of standing and, but shaking at the same time. Maybe part of that was through excitement and just, you know, all the emotions he was feeling, but then, you know, he's an older guy and he starts crying. And I'm like, this is it. Like this moment, that impact moment, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I can impact somebody's, well, I guess I can impact them positively and negatively, depending on how you look at it. But to, to like carry this dog over, to hand it to him, to let him pet the dog who was just super friendly, you know, older Cocker Spaniel. And to see this like emotion, you could feel it literally that, that told me I needed to leave the media world and come into the animal world. And, and that brought me to, to, you know, to being here 13 years later. That's an amazing story. I mean, and yeah, that's, a lot of people, we tell veterinary students that they say, I want to go into veterinary medicine because I don't like people. You have to like people, right? Those animals yeah. don't bring themselves by themselves. <laughs> and, and we do it for the animals because we care about the animals and we want to help the animals. But animals are so important. That human-animal bond is so mm. important. And I mean, yeah, we're not human doctors, but we're almost human therapists. We're helping the, the emotional support of, of those individuals. Absolutely. So how did you how did you go about then becoming an animal control officer? So I after being a volunteer for a little while, a great family friend uh, who uh, I've known for 30 plus years, he was at my wedding and it was after the wedding and I just remember he and I were talking and he was like, "Dude, he's like you should go be an animal control officer." And I was like, "Hmm." He was like, "Look, man, I you know, he actually worked for PETA back in the day. He, he runs this nonprofit fruit tree planting organization. That's FTPF fruit tree planting foundation.org. If anybody's interested, uh, it's all nonprofit. And they, they basically put fruit trees all over the world. Like they go everywhere, uh, villages, wherever food is necessary or needed left everywhere, but like they do some great outstanding, just amazing work for the world. But we're talking, he's like, dude, I used to worked for PETA back in the day. And like, I did ride alongs with animal control officers. And he's like, you're what that profession needs. He's like, you know, there's a lot of old dog catchers that do the job or, and, and that obviously has changed in the last 14 years. But like, he was just saying, like, I think you would be a great asset to the profession. And so I then went back to the shelter I was volunteering at and big shout out to Aaron McSpadden, who was one of the supervisors at the time. He was I just was like, Hey, can I do ride alongs? And I started just doing as many ride alongs as I could. And I then got hired on part-time with a humane society, animal control North of Denver. Uh, it was just a seasonal job though. So I was only really hired to like patrol parks and write tickets, which is part of the job, but that's not how I view the job. Like tickets are, you know, 
that's a whole nother story that I'm thinking we'll get into later today. But I, yeah, I, I totally like just fell in love with it, got that job part-time and then got a seasonal job, not a seasonal, uh, full-time, but temporary. So like they, it could only commit to you for like 364 days kind of thing, like, because they didn't want to pay certain, like they, I forget what it was, if it was like benefits or something like that. So I took that job closer to home and was in that job for about six months. And then I found a full-time job. I've worked, this is, I'm on my sixth agency. I move around a lot, so don't judge me. It's fine. <laughs> and so six agency, but still doing the same thing kind of from one place yeah. to another. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's cool about it. Having that experience working with so many different agencies. Now that number is, is kind of, exaggerated because I did a few, like two of those six jobs were like part-time or limited time. And then some of the other jobs were, you know, just to advance, advance myself professionally. And, you know, I've got to work for nonprofits. I got to work for you know, like public health or government municipalities and then law enforcement. So I kind of have the trifecta, which is really helpful in a lot of ways just to see how our profession is so similar, but also so different across the board. Yeah. And then another thing that you do is you're big on education, right? Like you like to go around and educate people. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, it all started, I mean, it probably started as a kid, but as far as this profession goes, I was a board member of what was called at the time, the Colorado Association of Animal control officers and they've since merged with the animal welfare association of Colorado, I think is what, what it stands for now. And so that's both animal shelter and animal control. But at the time with, with the being a board member, I just remember having an opportunity to teach a class on like dog breeds and communication. And so that was like the first two classes that I ever taught back in like 2013. So 10 years now I've been doing public speaking in that job, in that way, I guess you could say. And so now I am just so grateful the amount of support that I get from our peers in the community, like being able to go. I just got back from a, a two-leg trip. I was speaking at the, and I think you spoke there at one point, the uh, New England Federation of um, Animal or Humane Societies the New England Federation of Humane Societies. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, maybe you spoke there, maybe not. I, um, no, I have not. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you're seeing into the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, time, time does will, not exist. <laughs> yeah, time does not exist. So please. So maybe somebody that's listening right now. Yeah. I will have spoken. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say time doesn't exist, but we don't have time right. to discuss that. So that's an <laughs> oxymoron. So I spoke there, I did a quick class there, and then I did a full day at the Michigan Association of Animal Control Officers. So it was a busy week last week. And just the support to the support from our peers is overwhelming. Like, I just love the opportunity to bring things to them that, I mean, maybe they could find on their own, or maybe they're already aware of. But when I deliver it, I think, you know, with the passion that is behind it, it really seems to hit home. And you can't please everybody. And I, I know that. And, um, but at the end of the day, I really just try to know my audience and, and teach, you know, the best way that they can, that they can take, take away from it. Cause the more that we reach in that aspect, the more, the, the better we can do for our communities. And uh, on top of that, I'm a part-time instructor for 
the University of Missouri's extension, which is the Law Enforcement Training Institute, uh, which has the National Animal Cruelty Investigation School. And so they teach different levels, level one through three. And um, I primarily, though, I don't teach those levels. I can be a fill-in, but I primarily teach military police officers every quarter um, about just the whole thing. Like the whole, when I say the whole thing, like just general animal control, like where it started, what its what its main uses were, and then how you know violence towards animals can equate to violence towards our communities, our people, our our family, etc. And uh, it's been it's been received super well. I've been teaching there for this is going on my fourth year as well. Nice. Yeah, because there are so many locations that don't have resources, right? So even like Ashley was saying about the things that she's missing where she's at um, here in Ohio, depending on where you're at, there are some animal control officers that have great resources and do a fantastic job with what they have. And there are others that have either no resources or no I say no, no proper education on how to do the job. So you cannot do the job properly if you're not trained properly, right? Absolutely. So it's, you know, I personally, I'm big into education for that reason. And there, there are some close-minded people that just want to be the only ones that are good at something. But mm. if you have a gift, you share it, right? So really important to, to spread the information out. So also along those lines, then the animal control report you're sharing a lot of information and educating people and having guests along. So how did that idea come about and how did you and Ashley get together to get that started? Yeah. So you can check out the animal control report anywhere. Uh, podcasts are available. You can also go to our website, which is keepithumane.com. Keepithumane.com. Uh, we have a link right there for the show. You know, the show started by Michael Hildebrandt and uh, a bunch of other officers just he he it was his idea this was called the humane roundup this is several years ago and i think it was the second or th technically the third episode but it ended up being the second aired episode due to a technical difficulty i was invited in as a guest and they wanted to chat with me because my my thing at that time and it still is is outreach but i i was really hitting these little animal control trucks hard i found matchbox trucks that you know it was it was kind of that that moment where it's like our profession is finally getting some credibility that it deserves. Mm -hmm. And so I, I basically went around to every single grocery store in the Metro area. I'm talking 20 different grocery stores and bought up as many of these things as I could buy. And then I would be handing them out in the community to kids. Right. So trying to bridge that gap of like the old angry dog catcher to somebody that's like, actually, Hey, you know, I'm here to, to help you. I'm here as a resource. Here's a toy call us if you need us, et cetera. So they brought me on as a guest and I just never left. And uh, <laughs> fast forward, like three years later, uh, a lot of the guests just had other commitments with, you know, time and life and, you know, career changes, et cetera. I stayed and I just remember Bishop came on as a guest. We had her on and she ended up staying and we rebranded the podcast uh, in January of this year. So January, 2023, we took it from the humane roundup, which is a great name, but I didn't think that it it really pinpointed our focus and I wanted to make sure we captured though. There are tons of names to describe our profession. Animal control is the most known, the most, you know, recognizable. And the whole point of the podcast is to a, you know, obviously be there for other officers throughout the, the world uh, in, in that aspect, but it's also to help 
change that stereotype. So, I mean, anybody can listen to it, right? So if you're just, you know, driving home from work and you're like, uh, I want to know about dog bites, there's going to be an episode for that. Or I want to know about forensic investigations and animal crimes. We've had tons of veterinarians on, you know, that talk about that type of stuff. And so not only is it there that provides like quality, what I think is quality information, you know, that can stand next to trainings in some aspects, like there's great info there, um, but it's also good to help, you know, demystify that dog catcher stereotype. Yeah. I mean, as a forensic veterinarian, the reason I found your podcast was because I was looking for forensics, veterinary forensic uh, information. And I found the interview that you did with Melinda Merck. Uh, that was a two part episode. Yeah, the yeah. Goat, and, Melinda Merck. And that was, and and I listened to that and that hooked me up, right? So then I started listening to other episodes. And one of the things that I like is, I mean, you keep it real, right? So you're talking about the different issues and everything is just a conversation. It's not just some scripted information to hand out. So I really, I really like that. And I like that you are changing the mentality of the animal control officer, because that is, that is really important. And some of I have had really bad experiences with animal control officers and you, and most of them are from a while back, right? So the rascal unit started 17 years ago. And one of the things that we started doing was going to shelters, going to dog pounds and saying, let's spay neuter before adoption, because all you're doing is keeping your problem going. And the shelters were very like, and by shelters, you know, the non-county type facilities we're like, yeah, we want you here. We want you here every month and we want to do something. And some of the dog shelters were like, you know, these animal control officers that really didn't seem to care about the animals. We're like, nah, we're, we don't want to spend the money. We don't want to spend the time. It's inconvenient. Uh, you know, so a lot of, a lot of obstacles and take it back or take it forward 10 plus years later, a lot of those people have left and the new animal control officers are amazing. So it's like, they're changing who here, who before heard of a dog pound being a 90% life release rate. Right. So, and they're making it happen and they're making it happen because they're being proactive and they're educating the community. And then they're bringing people like us to do spay and neuter and they're, you know, they're helping their own problem. They're not adding to their own problem. Uh, They're also educating into the fact that, yeah, you're spending X amount of money on spaying this dog, but then you don't have that much money to spend on housing an animal for however long it takes. Right. So, so yeah. So one of the things thinking about, you know, the kind of stuff that, that you see, the kind of stuff that we see uh, in, in the animal welfare world I was teaching a class the other day. I, uh, I'm a guest lecturer at Ohio State for the veterinary forensics third year class. That's awesome. And one of the kids uh, said, because I'm showing them all these horrible things, right? I'm showing them images of sexual assault on a dog and a dog that starved to death and all these horrible things. But then in between, I'm joking around with them. And he's like, how can you see all these horrible things and still stand in front of me and smile? And I told them, you know, from my perspective, I'm a very objective person. So it's easy for me to separate myself and distance myself from it. But I cannot expect everybody else to be like, okay, I'm just going to kind of become a robot and not 
worry about it and not feel emotion. So how would you answer that question to somebody that's new to the field? I think first and foremost, for first and foremost, it's to really accept uh, that we have emotions, right? And I am, I'm really working on being able to empathize more with the world. Uh, I will say that for me, and maybe it's destined that I do this type of work is like, you know, I, I can, I can, what's the word Car- compartmentalize, right? So mm-hmm. I can see right. horrible things. Uh, and not necessarily have have it affect me, though, saying that that's not necessarily true. It comes back. And, and we did a, mm-hmm. a training with a, a really good psychologist or maybe it, it was either a psychologist or he even might be a what's the one that does the medicine? A uh, psychiatrist. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one that can give you pills. That's yeah. He ain't give me no pills. He should have. <laughs> But he, he called it, he, he, he's done like, he does, he's done a lot of mass shooting tragedies with law enforcement. So he's, you know, he sees different, different tragedies, trauma is trauma, period. Trauma has a response. And, but what he brought up was the book of the dead, like that we tend to compartmentalize and then we shove it away and then it'll pop its head up. And so what I think is really important is what I don't think we do as a profession is prepare our people for what could happen. And I can tell you, I can literally count on both hands how many animals I've taken out of bad situations that are horrible, thinking that, all right, cool, I did the right thing just to have them euthanized at the shelter due to behavioral issues, right? Uh, and things of that nature. And so all of that stuff combined, right? Uh, it, it's hard. And I think at the end, I really tried to find like, what's the what's the best answer that I can live with that I'm like, it's not hurting, right? Because pain is pain, trauma is trauma. First and foremost, let me just start with like a self-care routine is extremely important, right? And so like exercise, I would recommend everybody figures out some sort of exercise that they enjoy, right? Humans are designed to move, so move unless you physically can't. But uh, if you can move, move and you know work on your breath if you want to meditate if you want to do yoga find some sort of self-care routine drinking every day after work is not considered self-care yo so put the alcohol <laughs> down i'm not saying you can't do it but that is not what i'm talking about when it comes to self-care now back to like the idea or thought process of like the horrible things you have to have a way like i i, I believe in therapy i think it's extremely important I talk to a therapist as often as I can. Uh, we we're kind of on that we're kind of on that transition, just kind of how we were with the dog catchers. We're kind of on that transition where, you know, my parents they don't believe in therapy, right? Like mm-hmm. therapy, if you right. went to a counselor, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with everybody. So I don't want to hear that mess. Uh, go to therapy. Uh, have somebody you can talk to, and then also I remember some of the guys when back in the day when we were doing the podcast with a bunch of the guys, we were talking about sharing case stuff with our significant others. And some of them were like, no, don't do that. And it's like, look, I understand like this is an open investigation and you're, you're not going to like tell your spouse, like, like they're not going to go to the media and leave. Yeah. Right. They're going to call the papers and be like, Hey, guess what? This person has a dog fighting ring in the back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, not at all. And so it's like knowing that and having an outlet as well. Like, but what I what I'd like to see, and none of none of the major training animal control certification groups, it's something that I've been really teetering with of of do I start my own? Do I just start to train like and certify officers? And if I were to, I think one of the first day 
or definitely the first week would be uh, mental health stuff and talking about the compassion fatigue and what to expect. I mean, I've seen suicides, I've seen homicides, I've seen accidents, I've, I've seen all sorts of death, death to human and all sorts of death to animals. You know, I've seen intentional death to animals. I've seen accidental death to animals. I've seen predation, right? So uh, you have to, I don't think we're doing a good enough job in our profession. We want to we want to teach everybody how to do the job, but not necessarily how to prepare for the job. And so that's some of the stuff that I'm always available. Uh, there is a peer support team that I can put people in touch with as well. Uh, so if there's, you know, situations that I can't help with, or maybe I'm just not the right person, um, I'm going to send you to the peer support team and get you that help. Because at the end of the day, uh, your health is important because without your health, you're not going to be able to do the job. And your profession, specifically veterinarians, have one of the highest, if not the highest, suicide rates, and uh, that's you know something that's, I mean, you're already your profession is like, you know, not thriving as far as having enough people to do the job, and now it's more stressful because there's not enough people to do the job. So then that stress, I would imagine, could potentially lead to more suicides in your profession. So finding ways in the animal welfare community to come together, and that's why a like, I love that you're doing what you do. Like, I listen to your show. I, you know, I, I really support the movement that you're doing. And like, the more that we can do this and just raise awareness, hopefully the more people we can help. Yeah. And yeah, people need to know that. The, I, I like the saying that it's okay to not be okay. Like, we mm. have to be real with ourselves and understand that, you know, being depressed doesn't mean that you have depression, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody can have, be depressed at a, at a given time. Same thing with anxiety. So we need to learn to listen to ourselves and understand and then be able to talk to someone. And we also need to be real with people. And there are some people that are never going to be okay with what we see. Mm -hmm. And again, that is okay. So maybe this is not the line for you. You know, what else can we do with your abilities, with your education? Something that is not going to be as taxing emotionally. Because I think that people just get into, in, into, I'd say like dissolution by, this is what I wanted to do and it's not working out and I don't know what to do and there's no, there's no way out, and, you know, we need to we need to help people understand how to I don't know how to deal with that and how to talk about it. Absolutely, and just continuing on that subject, you know, I've, <laughs> I've worked for several agencies, but I've also interviewed for several. Like I like, you know, we're not in a day and age where you stay for 25 years and get your gold watch. Like that's not what we do. We move around, we bring our experiences and learn new ones. And in every interview I've been in, they want to know like what skills you have to do the job. And the closest they get to even talking about mental health is euthanasia. Can you, per can you perform it? Can you kill something, whatever, however you want to word it. Mm -hmm. But they never, I've never heard a question, and maybe this is something that we add, you know, as as we continue to move forward, but I've never heard a question that talks about what would your self-care routine be in this profession that is linked to what we call compassion fatigue? And here is compassion fatigue. And so that way you're setting it up. I've seen so many people start this job and then go on like two or three calls and they're like, nope. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this anymore. Like this ain't for me because they don't have an idea of what it is. They they see SPCA Houston or whatever on Animal Planet. And they're like, this mm -hmm. is cool. I'm going to save this puppy and give it to somebody. Like, sure, yeah. that is going to happen. But that might take 100 calls for that to happen. Like I, like I mentioned, like you see some of the bad of the bad. And uh, the other piece, and one of the reasons we do our show, 
And one of the reasons, you know, I have the website and, you know, I sell merchandise and gear. Matter of fact, check that out at keepithumane.com and you can use AC report for 10% off. Anyway, shameless Look at plug that, there. Saving money. Hey, that's <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug AC report for, for saving some money on that. But, in the, but to be honest about that is like, we don't have a lot of support in our own profession. So you might work for an agency that just beats you down all the time. Right. And doesn't have, uh, doesn't have your best interests. And that that's an addition to doing the job difficult, very difficultly. That's a word. Like, Sounds right. and, and then, yeah, but then you do all this hard work. You don't even get a pat on your back and then you're criticized because you forgot like one photo or you didn't upload something. And then it's not like, Hey, man, that case looked incredible. Like you spent hundreds of, not hundreds of hours, that's stupid, but you spent a lot of hours on it. You were working your butt off. I appreciate it. It looks like you might've missed something. Um, can I help you? Or something like that. We don't do that. It's just like, you missed this, you messed this up. So yeah. Be nicer to and I people. mean, yeah, that's in Yeah. That's in every field. And it's even with like clients and everything else, right? Like it's so much easier to get on and get on somebody for something that they didn't do than for something that they did do. Yeah. So, so yeah, really, really important. So back to kind of dealing with, dealing with people and, and their profession and stuff, how do you handle like wellness calls, right? Like I like dealing with animal control officers, not just from the standpoint of saying, Hey, I think this person is abusing their dog, but I think these people may need help. Sure. So do you do those kind of calls and how do you go about it? Yeah. I think you have to, a be trained to know someone to know what to look for. You can use your instinct on it. Like uh, we know, and I th- I'm pretty sure Ashley, she got to get her facts right though. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get on her on the next time we're on the podcast. She said 70% of homes that have, or 70, something like 70% of domestic violence homes, there's been something done to the animal. A 2017 study, 2017 study shows that 89% of homes that have animals with domestic violence, that abuser has either threatened, harmed, or killed an animal. 89%. 89, not 10, yeah. not 11, 89. And right. so in that aspect, that's one piece of wellness checks. But uh, when you're dealing with just people in general, and it's an animal, whether it's a neglect situation, is that person, what is their perception of reality? And so mm-hmm. I really try to change my approach to the job on how can I relate to people? Like when I'm walking up to a door and you see a uniform, you may shut down. You may be the first uniform personnel that somebody's ever had contact with. You know, like a lot of people don't get pulled over or don't have cops in their lives. And so animal control shows up and cops aren't liked that much right now in in society. And that's not true for everywhere, but like in some of the cases that we're going to be dealing with, it's absolutely true. And so just kind of trying to find a way to relate to people right? To like, Hey, how's it going? I'm Daniel with animal control. You good? Like everything good. How's, how, how are things like, you know, just let them kind of talk and then understand what they're dealing with. And then, uh, you know, if there's a situation where you feel it needs to be escalated, whether it's child protective services or adult protective services, or, you know, a mental health technician, something like that, uh, you know, then you, you have to start having those, you know, thoughts and conversations of like, should I call somebody, are they open to help? And, and what does that look like? So have you had anybody that you go for just a wellness check and they come out and they're like threatening you or telling you to get out of their house, that kind of stuff. And how do you deal with that? You know, and not to sound like 
too cocky or arrogant. I, I really believe in it's how you approach the situation. And so early on in my career, yes, that happened a lot because I was ego driven. I'm wearing a uniform. I'm this tough guy, whatever. I'm, I'm a bigger dude. And so I think I, I portrayed that for a long time. Uh, not a long time for a few years. It just doesn't work. And I, and so I, what I, I think happened for me is I kind of found this sweet spot of like, Hey, how's it going? You know, I'm Daniel, everything good. Like, and so that, that connection, I think really de-escalates thing just right from the gate. Like it, it just, it really does. I haven't had, I like when you bring that up, I can't even think about the last time I had somebody get aggressive or threatening or anything. Um, even to a point where it's just like when you have to write a ticket for something and you're explaining like, look, I need your ID. And they're like, I don't want to give you my ID or I don't have an ID. Look, you got an ID. Please just go grab it. Like, I'm not trying to go back and forth with you. I just got a job to do. Like you screwed up and I don't say it that way, but like, <laughs> right. yeah. you know, you messed up. <laughs> I'm writing you a ticket. No, but in all seriousness, even though like you write tickets, a lot of times you get a thank you anyway at the end of it. So mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, things that we can learn and just how we talk to people and how we approach situations, our body language, you know, eye contact, all that stuff is super important. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can go to somebody and they can perceive it in one of two ways, right? Like we're coming here to get you in trouble or we're coming here to help your pet. So ultimately if they understand that you care about the animal, then that should definitely, should definitely help. Absolutely. Is so you're in Colorado. Um, what are is there a mandatory reporting law in Colorado for veterinarians and for control officers and cross reporting? There is, yeah. So animal control has to report, you know, domestic violence, child abuse, etc. Veterinarians are required to report uh, animal or crimes against animals like neglect or cruelty as well, uh, fighting if they if they come across that. It's part of the Colorado Revised Statutes under Title Twelve and it's still, <laughs> though that you have it, uh, you still run into situations where somebody's working in an office at a vet clinic and thinks they have more control. It's all, everything in life comes down. I swear it comes down to control and power. And so people with ego, everyone has ego too. Don't get me mm-hmm. started on that. But like people want to control a situation. So when you call them like, hey, I'm Daniel and I'm just trying to get records on this dog because we're investigating a crime against it. Oh, I, I got to check. I'll get back to you. I'm like, well, Actually, per Title 12 section, da 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 da, uh, you are required to give that information. Do, would you like that in an email? <laughs> That's, I'm so condescending. I'm like, I can email it to you right now if you'd like. I can send you a link right to the Lexis, Lexis Nexus. Um, but uh, yes, so there are mandatory reporters. And then listening to Bishop's uh, episode last week, I also, we have, so like dog and car stuff. And I think you were talking about it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like Ohio does, we have an immunity law for citizens. They just mm-hmm. basically, if they see a dog in a car, it's what's, we call it the dog and car law, but it was created for at-risk adults and, and chil- children as well. So it goes across, uh, you know, humans and animals. And so, but if you do see a dog in a car, you have to call animal control or the police you have to try to locate the owner. You have to see if the doors are unlocked, et cetera, before you break a window. And then if you do remove the animal, you're not going to be held liable for any damages in that aspect. Yeah. So working as part of a team is super important, right? And a team, I mean, the veterinarian, 
animal control, the prosecutor, everything. So do you have a good support team where you're at? Is it a little bit of a struggle sometimes? How does that work? You know, it's, I, I, the last, uh, the last contact I had with a veterinarian was, was trying, it was, it was troublesome. And it was a dog that was outside in the cold reported to be outside overnight. And we're talking like really cold, cold weather. And I, get a look at the dog. It's underneath a deck and it's like a 12 year old pity, you know, so a short flat coat, uh, extreme cold temperatures. And I get doggy to, I get doggy to the vet and we take a temperature and I mean, you're the veterinarian here. So I'll just put a number out. It was like 94.6. So that's very, very low. Well, the veterinarian (laughs) said it wasn't. Oh, really? Yeah. And it just, it's again, it goes back to ego and control and personal preferences and things like that. Look, I'm not here trying to like tell anybody how to do their job, but if I ask a question, is that hypothermia, hypothermia, Mm -hmm. and I get the, well, I mean, it's on the, it was on the, they said something like it was on the moderate level or not severe, something like that. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, it, it seems you know, really low to me, uh, but right. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I don't have a DVM, but no, I don't have that. a DVM. I'm not going to tell you how to <laughs> but do But I your think job. that that's cold. But what, what, yeah. what ended up happening, what sucked is like, maybe it was my approach and I have to do better at this. So this is something that I, I want to just put it out there right now. Maybe I approached it wrong. Maybe my enthusiasm for the job really came into that vet clinic and rub that veterinary in the wrong way, right? Like who is this dog catcher thinking that they know whatever it was like in, and so, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in doing this job well. And so I, I just, I can only look at myself. And so what unfortunately happened is that dog, um, I, I thought it would be a euthanasia candidate due to its poor health, not to mention it had a severe mass uh, in one of its legs. So it was a uh, knuckling on the back, the back leg, what's the term for that? Where it folds mm-hmm. over. Yep. Um, and, and so it wasn't able to stand. And then the owner also like admittedly gave it like straight THC, not like not CBD. And so right. it was just a mess. Like it's an older dog. The dog's a mess. And it just like, I didn't want it to be an issue. I was trying to explain here based on just the facts. This is a case. Like we can make this mm-hmm. into a criminal case. That's not necessarily my goal, but we got to do something. And so I just remember there being such an argument with that veterinarian. And this is not a shelter veterinarian, by the way. This is like mm-hmm. we utilize a outside source, but I just remember that veterinarian. And maybe that's the difference. Maybe like private practice versus shelter med, like private practice with all due respect, like they have a different overhead than mm-hmm. shelter med. And so maybe that was part of it. I don't know, but ended up the dog like literally left with uh, that that was the whole neglect thing is like the dog was in pain and was supposed to be getting pain meds for that swollen leg in addition to the whole hypothermia thing. And I just remember it leaving the clinic without any meds prescribed. Like, so the dog's just sent home and uh, no palliative care, which was frustrating. And then politically, I just was like, what do I do? Like, do I push the issue? Does this create an issue at work? Like I, you know, I tried to find the best resolution and unfortunately um, the vet said the dog was fine, so I can't push the issue. Yeah. And that's w- one of the things that we see here is the, I don't want to get involved type mentality, right? Or I don't want to go to court. I don't want to have to deal with it. 
So one of the things that I have been able to help with some uh, local humane officers is that they'll, I'll consult on cases. So these are animals that have gone to another veterinarian. The veterinarian has done all their work. And then like recently I was working with a, with a dog that passed away and the, the, the veterinarian did everything well and they kept good notes and everything else. But then they wrote a report about their findings and what they thought. And it was very incomplete as far as legally. So the humane officer goes to the prosecutor and says, here's the case. And the prosecutor was like, no. So um, here in Ohio, I don't know if it's the same there, but here in Ohio, you can assign an animal prosecutor mm-hmm. so that they can travel to any place to prosecute animal, animal cases. So the animal prosecutor said, you need to get a hold of G and have her review the case and write you a letter. So what I do is I am able to take all of that stuff. And maybe it's easier because I don't know the people. I don't know the animal. I don't know what's going on. But I'm able to take all of that information, like break it apart, break everything apart, like break apart the conversations that they give me about the owners. They give me the witness reports. They give me all the medical notes, all the laboratory information and all of that stuff. And I'm able to put everything in order, concise order, and then be able to draw conclusions. And then within those conclusions, say, based on the Ohio Revised Code, you know, it's not just, oh, yeah, this person's a piece of crap and they should go to jail, right? It's based on the way the law is written. They did not provide certain standard of care. So in my opinion, it's uh, animal neglect. And then that gives the prosecutor something that they can use. Um, something similar happened as far as with the, with that, it didn't have a veterinarian included, but the case that we shared about the Trumbull County dog warden that was yeah. not feeding the dogs, right? Yeah. So they had all this information, they had videos, they have everything, but the prosecutor was like, this is not sufficient. Mm-hmm. So we need a report from a veterinarian that says, this is it. And one of the things that my reports include is a little section on the uh, FRE 702 and why I'm allowed to be an expert witness. So these are all my qualifications, right? So I just start out with, I'm not just somebody with an opinion. I am somebody that's trained to give this opinion. And we were able to get a, a conviction in that case, which some people think that nothing happened to him. To me, it was a huge win, right? Because- He's he's no longer a dog warden. Right. Exactly. No, exactly. So, so yeah, so it's just really important for, you know, one of the, one of the reasons I have this podcast is to hopefully get other veterinarians to get on board with doing things, you know, 94 degrees. That is extreme hypothermia. Yeah, But I'm not a veterinarian and I'm not going to argue. Uh. So I'm a veterinarian. So I'm telling you that, yeah, yeah, that is extreme hypothermia and that is not okay. And Accidents happen. So, you know, was it accidental? You know that it was, right? This dog was left outside. So as a veterinarian, I don't have to, again, write a report saying the person, I I don't, it's not my job to make a judgment. It's my job to make observations and then to write observations in a report and then hand them out. Because what did they do? Especially if that dog went back with no pain control, how can you feel good as a veterinarian, somebody yeah. that is in animal welfare, that yeah. you didn't even do that, you know? 
And that's the struggle. And I think it's a, a larger, one of the non-surprising but resounding themes I hear when I travel, when I talk to fellow officers is we don't, most of us don't have that animal prosecutor. And so a lot of these cases, whether they're on the city or, or county level, even you know misdemeanor or felonies, they're just getting either pled down or not even accepted by the DA. And so I get it. Like, I think it's really, it's understandable because these cases are to them, you know, they're, they're not, they're not the murders. They're not the, you know, the just big, you know, cases. And, but what it is, and from my experience and in, in training and research, it's a precursor to those cases. You know, I use, several case examples where somebody has been in and out of the system, has an animal cruelty charge, and then does something heinous, whether it's murder or prostitute out a young girl or whatever it is. Like I have those case studies. And so my next, and it's, it's been on my radar for a little while, but my, like, it's, it's one thing for prosecutors to go talk to prosecutors, like in, in train prosecutors. That's great. But I think, with, with pun intended, they need to hear it from the horse's mouth. They need to be told that, hey, as prosecutors, you're dropping the ball. Like, I know you're busy and you have a crazy caseload and you want to plea everything out. Just remember that person who, you know, stomped a cat to death may be that next, you know, mass shooter or may um, may do this to their, to their family. And so all I'm asking for the majority of cases, and this is what I tell officers all the time, uh, you're probably too young to remember this, but back in the day, there was this thing called a fax machine. And when a fax machine, for <laughs> I'm those not that, that young, <laughs> well, chill out because a lot of people Thank are. You. Yeah, a lot right. of people. Oh are. yeah, I know. So a fax machine was like pre-email. Okay, I'm I'm being serious here for those that really may or may not know. But when you would send a fax, you would send a cover letter with that fax, and you would basically say to who it was, and kind of like a general. There's four pages, and this is what the contains in the fax. Well, we need to do that with our cases and send fax sheets. So like F-A-C-T-S, fax sheets with what we think needs to happen. And so that way, when they see the packet, they look at it, they're like, okay, this person's being charged or was charged with you know animal cruelty on a misdemeanor level because X, Y, and Z, just bullet points, nothing major, because they're going to read through everything. But um, what I'd like to see is, you know, required mental health evaluation and required mental health treatment. I would also like to see, you know, substance abuse, uh, like discontinued for the time of probation. And if they have other animals, like the case you talked about from the old dog warden, I want to be able to go and do follow-up welfare checks on those animals if he has any to see if he's mm -hmm. taking care of them or, or whatever. And so like that's, we can step our game up to that level and, you know, just trying to, to, you know, just, I would say like trying to imprint on officers to do that. And I'm always here. Like I tell officers all the time, like if you ever want me to look over a case, like whatever your policy is with your department, you may have to clear it, but um, I'm happy to like give my expertise. You know, I've been entered as an expert as well into court. And so I don't know if that helps, but if it does, like I'd be happy to to give my perspective on looking at the facts and then giving my, you know, professional opinion on helping that thing move forward. Yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, like you were saying about domestic violence, there was one case that the prosecutor didn't want to go forward because he had already other felonies against the people. So he didn't want to bother himself with adding another one. Sure. Well, these are people that are 
in a domestic violence situation, they have children. Like there are so many things involved in it. So prosecuting that animal felony, that it was a starvation to death. So yeah. that and and they were using it to to affect each other. Like they were telling each other, I'm gonna kill your dog. Yeah. Right. So it it's just the importance of the prosecutors understanding the you know why they have to waste their time with those cases. It's not a waste of time. It's, yeah. It, it's unfortunate that we're just not there yet, but I think over the next like 10 years, like one of the prosecutors I worked with in Denver for a long time, no, though she was not specific to the animals, like through the state, she was with the County or the city. And so like, she handled all the animal cases and, you know, she, she was good. She, I think like with, with her, uh, she really liked to understand like, what are the facts, right? Like what, what, and this is one thing that I will tell anybody investigating any crime is what is the timeline like how do we place the crime and and that's done through all sorts of different things right and so but but really sticking to and having a timeline uh, that you can present to your prosecutor is really important so you know try to make friends with them try to you know reach out to your prosecutor buy them some coffee or a donut or who knows maybe they like I don't know, like salads, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but figure out what they like, ask if they can chat, if you can chat with them and figure out ways to uh, just tell them like, Hey, you know, based on this information that's out there, if we can intervene now, you may not see this person later, but if we don't mm -hmm. intervene now, guess what? They're going to be back in your, in your room and you're going to be talking about a deal. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the and the part of a follow up is so important, you know, like yeah. with like the hoarding cases and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like people come in and do kind of like a spot treatment almost is what it feels like. And then there's no follow up. Correct. And then people just go back into into doing the same thing over and over again. And it's so, it's factual that 99% of hoarders without any intervention will mm -hmm. will hoard again. And so um, bringing that bringing that stuff forward in a way that's not like telling them how to do their job, but just in a way that's like, Hey, uh, I'm trying to make your job easier in the future. That's like right. my, my approach to it. Right. No, definitely. So one of the things that you had mentioned before that made me think of it is that you've been very involved or very vocal as far as the need for euthanasia for mm -hmm. aggressive animals. Uh, and, and you probably listened to my podcast. That's something that I'm also very passionate about, not because I want to kill dogs, because clearly that's not what I'm here to do, but because there is a point where we have to stop and think about the safety of that animal, the safety of the humans and the safety of others. So what's your, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think your title of your episode was behavioral euthanasia and yeah. it, there's really good information in there. And I, I think, the whole thing about my just taking a um, a really forward approach, you know, I'm, I'm again, I'm grateful that I have this platform, whether it's through the podcast or the website. I wrote a blog that I titled No Chill, and that was obviously directed at the language No Kill. And I think we're in such a time, and I'm actually writing a follow-up blog to that now, and I'm hoping to get that out in the next few weeks. Um, but in that blog, without going into too much detail, I talk about 2023 just being the year of inclusion. And, you know, it probably started a little bit before that. 
terminology like no kill or save them all, in my opinion, personal opinion and professional opinion is not inclusive language. It is basically saying that we are, and they might argue that no, no kill. Cause we're like including everything that we're not going to kill it. Uh, the reality is that's not what they mean when they say that. And they know that. And we've had, I've had really good discussions with some of these groups and they know that that's not what it means. However, they still use it. And so it is a, without a doubt, amazing and genius marketing tool and an amazing and ingenious slogan. If you think of two of the more successful companies and their slogans, you see a Nike symbol, you know, it's just do it. You see a, a Mac or an iPhone, you know, it's think differently, right? And so when you see an orange poster with an animal on it, you know, it's save them all. And so I get that. I'm not arguing that, but the message that you're sending is wrong. And so I actually, I don't know if you had a chance to see my video, but I came up with this idea and concept of like, why can't we just change the words? Like we had major league baseball teams probably spend hundreds of millions of dollars with, along with major football teams, change their name, their uniform, their logo, all that stuff, because of the language that they were using was not inclusive. And so I came up with this idea and I don't know, it's just me, just one person. I'm happy for feedback. I'd love to hear what you think, but why can't we call instead of no kill shelters? Why just can't call it a smart shelter? If we want to have a label on it of some sort. So the whole acronym of smart is saving the majority of animals with responsible treatment. And that's nice. ultimately what the whole no kill movement is anyway. Mm -hmm. They just, you have to dig super duper deep to find that language just make it really more easy to, I, I just think it's, Hey, find it. It's easy to find, um, be what you are. But, um, I, I think if you've ever investigated a crime where a dog has killed another animal and I don't care if it's your pet chicken, I don't care if it's your other dog, whatever it is, that still hurts that family. Or if a dog's killed a human being or injured a person minorly or significantly, there's emotional, you know, ties to that. And I, I just think that when we send that message, it does a couple things. And I know I've gone back and forth to the person that may not be familiar specifically with it. They do probably think that no kill means like literally save them all. But the other thing that it does, even if you're not a partner of one of these no kill movements, you may feel the pressure from your County commissioner or your, you know, of your humane society board that wants to be this no kill shelter. And now we run into this problem where animals are being warehoused because they don't have the resources or people are getting bit because they're walking animals. They shouldn't be, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think in this country, we tend to follow trends. And I think it's been a very popular trend over the last, I'd say what, five, five to 10 years, maybe not even 10. I think it's really kind of gained steamed over the last five, seven years. Um, and it's a trend, but I think, you know, you have uh, a balance to that where socially conscious sheltering, whew, that's a mouthful, came out to kind of provide that, okay, here's our counter to no kill, which ultimately their guiding principles are almost identical. If you dig through them, you have to dig through them. They both basically want to place healthy and safe animals. But those are both like, they're just the wrong term. Socially conscious sheltering, though I just said it really fast, is a lot. So that's why I'm proposing this smart shelter idea, because I think it just, you can just bullet out those points and keep it moving. Yeah, I think that one of the one of the issues is it makes people feel guilty or feel bad when they have to make the decision. So there's a negative stigma 
about it. And then shelters are affected by it because if they are not no-kill, people think that they're just killing everything, right? And then that can even decrease. You would think that somebody hearing that a shelter is a high kill shelter would make people flock to them because I want to save all those laughs. No, because I I can say from my personal experience, growing up in Puerto Rico, the art dog pound was very high kill, right? So I never wanted to, I never went in there because I didn't want to go in there and feel responsible for the 99 dogs that I would not take home. So emotionally, it was very taxing. So I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are like that. You know, I don't want to go to the to that dog shelter because they have a high kill rate. So, yeah. you know, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to rescue one, but everybody else is going to die. And um, the other thing we we hear a lot too is I can't do what you've done or do. Oh, I can't yeah, do. Yeah. And part of that is that as well. Like mm-hmm. they think we have to euthanize. And granted, I've euthanized my my share of animals. I, I you know, I don't want to euthanize anymore, but if if I had my choice, I wouldn't. But the reality is like behavior is an issue and you know, our communities need to be safe first and foremost. And and I'll, I will die on the sword saying that, like, I, I think that that's the message that needs to be loud and clear. And um, I don't know, that's just my personal opinion on that. And uh, you know, if you can make your shelter 90% or more live release rate, I'm happy for you. Uh, you know, just look at the trends in your community, have bites gone up, have dog attacks gone up. And if they have maybe look at your, behavior evaluation process before putting animals back out there. Yeah. And to your point, it's 90% life release rate. So no kill doesn't mean a hundred percent life release rate. It means 90%. So that's another, that's another issue that I have with that kind of no kill language. Um, You know, so, um, well, yeah, I mean, this has been awesome talking to you. You're really who talk to, and we could probably talk all day about well, all these things we could right? yeah, absolutely could I, but, yeah. but yeah you want to uh anything that you want to say in closing and another plug for your for your uh podcast and shop yeah, we got to plug it yo so keep the animal control report is there you can find it at keep or you can find it anywhere podcasts are downloaded use discount code ac report for any products we have some really cool keychains some shirts some tumblers we're, we're, we're definitely, you know, trying to push some good positive stuff in the community. And as I say on the podcast, thanks for listening and keep it humane, man. <laughs>